Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Yes, Charles Col- uh, psychotherapist Joanna Fortune joins us to chat through your parenting questions. If you have any queries or thoughts or listening problems, let us know. 5216, the text number, email afternoon at newstalk.com. Joanna, how are you today? I'm good on this beautiful sunny day. Do, do uh, children-related problems go up or down in the sunshine? I think a whole lot goes up in, in the sunshine, <laughs> doesn't it? Temperatures, temp- tempers. I think the only thing that changes is the location. It's, you know, rather exactly. than being trapped under the same roof them, you're out in the blue. The only good thing is sea. it offers the opportunity for so much more outdoor family time and getting outside and just embracing the environment and what's around us, I think, is really what we all need right now. Yeah, I introduced the much maligned sport of cricket to my uh, children over the weekend. They were blown away I was like, by how it. did that go? Yeah, It doesn't get enough. Of, it's a great game. It's a brilliant game. And you can make the things yourself with a few bits of wood and, and a hurling bat and a tennis oh, ball. Oh, so it's like a hybrid cricket. Yeah, a hurling. Okay. Sorry, yeah. a hurling. <laughs> yeah. And off you go. It's a much maligned sport. It doesn't get the credit it needs and it's great crack. You're bringing it back. Yes, cricket needs to come back. (laughs) So question number one for you. Um, I have three sons aged seven, four and eight eight months. Since the beginning of COVID, my middle son and my eldest son have more or less been thrown together. They did everything together, mostly because for such a long time they weren't allowed to play with anybody else. As we now move on from COVID, we're struggling with the fact that our eldest son is at a different uh, developmental age to our middle son. And therefore, there are some things that he'll be allowed to do that our middle son won't be able to do. For example, our eldest son would like to stay up later. He's allowed to walk to the shop, a three minute, very safe walk. And most importantly, he's no longer going to attend creche from September but our four-year-old will. Our eldest will also do a couple of summer camps which our middle son is not old enough to do and we'll go and he'll go and play dates with friends that my middle son doesn't even know about. But our middle son is struggling badly with this and can't understand why they're being treated differently. How can I help my four-year-old to understand that while they were the same in his eyes for the last 18 months they are in fact different people and therefore his older brother will be treated differently going forward as we all have more flexibility in life. Our four-year-old's behaviour has disimproved over the last four weeks or so as we've started to implement some of the changes ourselves. So I'm not confident that we're going about this the right way. Oh, I mean, I know your four-year-old is grappling with, you know, my big brother actually is bigger than me and that has meaning. But I wonder if these parents are as well that, you know, and I'm also conscious that you've an eight-month-old. So for a large part of this lockdown period, you've been pregnant or having a newborn under very difficult circumstances, you know, these restrictions around visits and family and support. So this has been a really busy household and how lovely that the boys played together and can continue to play together. I mean, the differences you've outlined are appropriate developmentally, you know, walking to the shop or doing camps or it's important they have friends apart from each other, but that doesn't mean they can't still have time together playing at home. Your big challenge here is that your four year old isn't going to understand the change as you've outlined it so clearly here and they may feel punished that I'm not allowed to do this, but I didn't do anything wrong. So if I feel punished, I will give you behaviour to warrant the punishment. So my behaviour will regress. I will start acting out because it's my way of saying this doesn't make sense. I'm confused, you know, because it's very hard to reason with a four year old, as anyone who has ever tried can testify. <laughs> yes. You need to go. Yeah. Oh, don't, <laughs> a whole don't lot start. Of preach yes. that. Um, so you actually have to try do it rather than say it. You have to distract him because you've given us a really detailed list of what your seven year old can do. But what I'm wondering is, where's the list of things your four year old can do? 
Are you presenting it to your four-year-old in a way of, you know, empathizing first and foremost? You know, oh, yeah, you wish you were seven too so that you could walk to the shop and one day you'll be seven. Now you're four and when you're four, you can do X, Y, Z and tell him what he can do rather than spotlighting what he can't do by virtue of being four, which he has no control over. You're and still able to do these brilliant things. He has to go to the shop on his own. And look at you. We can do this. And while he's at the shop, we're going to play this or we're going to build blocks or let's see what we can do, whatever it yeah. is that's appropriate. I, I also think, though, I would do some structured play with his peers, you know, who is going to be in crash with him come September and just give him a little bit of increased exposure to kids who are his developmental age so that he sees, well, I'm still playing. I mean, at this age, you know, egocentrism and all of that, you know, at four, I just want to know that my life is pretty much unchanged and I'm getting all of my needs met. So make sure that I've got play opportunities and in an appropriate way, having people over or meeting in an open space together, but that I'm mixing with kids that I will see in September. So I have that continuity and I have that wraparound structure piece and do play family activities together. So I'm still playing with my sibling in ensuring that my seven year old has all of these opportunities to begin to practice independence don't inadvertently create a gap that we think we shouldn't play together, you know, that they yeah. still, I mean, they sound like they have of a course. lovely relationship yeah. and long may it continue. So do invest in some family playtime games and activities that you play all together when you are together. Yeah. So you sell everything as good news, really, don't you? Not only do you have all Absolutely. those things, but these new things are coming exactly. in as well. This exactly. And just try to think of it from a four year old's perspective. You're telling me he can do all these things that I can't. Plus, he won't be where I expect him to be. And I'm going to be on my own doing this. And I have to sit here and watch him do all these great fun things because when you're four, everything that the older ones are doing is what you want to do. Yeah. You want to grow up, but you want to be independent, but you're still dependent. So high flashes of frustration are quite developmentally normal. I'd really redirect him to what he can do and be super excited about selling it. OK, um, moving on. My next one for you is this. Uh, I'm planning a birthday party for my daughter, which is coming up in the next two weeks. She will be 10 years old. She's invited her entire class which is problematic <laughs> given the current guidelines. 10 is a big milestone, but I don't want to have a class full of nine-year-olds at the party as well as their accompanying parents. What should I do? As an aside, since we started talking about it, her sleep has been affected. I think she's worried about not inviting everyone. Oh, I'm sure she is. And I'm sure that's coming from a kindness point of view of wanting to include everyone and that no one's left out. I'm also just the timing of this and the party. They're all on holidays, I'm guessing. Exactly. So she's not in school and yeah. having to say, oh, it's tomorrow and you're not coming and you are. And you'll also do well to find them all available. Well, th well, that's also true and you can use that. And I don't know the size of the class, but I'd probably argue inviting the entire class would be problematic with or without COVID guidelines. That is a lot of nine, yep. ten year olds all at once in one space. Um, so a couple of things. First of all, blame COVID, blame the pandemic, blame the government, blame the politicians. It's their fault you can't have everyone over for the party because these are the rules, OK? So you can dilute some of it and then talk about it's really important that we listen to those rules and we, we stay safe because we want to keep all our friends safe as well as ourselves. And again, emphasise how special her party is going to be with five or six kids. The talking about it stressing her out in her sleep, what you want to do when you talk about this is have a plan in mind, like you're going saying, oh, of course, you'd love to have everyone over. That would be so great. But we're not allowed to do that at the moment. It wouldn't be safe. Here's what we can do. Here's the plan. So I'm, we're not talking about it in the way where I'm going, oh, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. We'll have to think more about it. Come at her with a very set plan. So that's reassuring and saying, yeah, that would be great. But 
here's what we are going to do. Also, the whole thing about the parents at parties, um, like at 10 years old, you could definitely tell the parents it's a drop and collect party. There's I mean, that's no, like just no, you do not need to be entertaining, you know, however many kids plus however many grownups, because that's all no. of a sudden you're bordering on the afters of a wedding with those kinds of crowds. It's beyond the six o'clock news. You know, that's just not OK. But also so many parents will be delighted for you to tell them it's drop and collect, that Absolutely. they don't have to stay. So I wouldn't worry about the parents, but I don't want that to be the issue. You know, if the yeah. issue is and it seems to be too many people, help her to make choices, help her to understand that she's not pushing people away, but that she's bringing those friends in and that the focus is on having a really great time. Because I think her, her worry reading this is probably about leaving people out. Yeah. Um, it is great that it's the summer. Right. Um, she can have a great party. Exactly. She'll love it. Uh, and we need to be worrying about the parents. Um, Joanna Fortune with us 53106 for your text and that. By the way, one of our listeners on the competition asking, is that a different number for the 30K? It is. 57599 is the, the competition number for the 30K. So that's a different number to normal. So take a note of that one if you want to. 57599 for the competition. So uh, moving on now. Um this is a hard, hard one for you now. My nine-year-old nephew seems to be out of control. Obviously, this past year has been rough on all kids, but this is more than just the effects of the lockdown. His parents have effectively split up, but there's been no formal discussion about it, just that my sister has moved back to an apartment that she has had for a long time and is no longer living in the same apartment as his dad. I'm sure this is a big part of why he's been acting out, but as much as I encourage them to provide structure custody-wise for his sake, the situation continues to be very vague even for the extended family I feel strongly that he should be talking to a therapist but those encouragements go uh, unheard so far my nephew has started exhibiting disrespectful behaviour for the past couple of weeks now the past couple of years now and it only seems to be getting worse my sister's approach to parenting is about letting him say or do whatever he needs to feel like he's expressing himself and being heard which is very often included uh, back talk him slamming doors and yelling at her for up to two hours I know I can't fix his relationship with his parents or completely change his behaviour but while I still love him I no longer like spending time with him as everything becomes a power struggle and ends in ugliness how can I set boundaries and expectations for him when he's around me I miss the sweet kid he used to be I miss the close relationship we used to have he's only nine and I fear that things will only continue to get worse that's oh very hard oh my goodness one. there's so much here and I just think you know there's so much kindness and compassion and care in this letter and there's also an edge of criticism and just be aware of that, that your frustration with his parents is evident, you know, the, your criticism of their parenting and the choices and decisions they're making around their separation is evident. And if it's evident to us in this letter, try as you might, I assure you it is evident to your sister okay. in your interactions with her. And there is no better way for her to get defensive and create distance and push you away than for her to feel judged and criticised. So I think step back from the situation and just get a little perspective on it. You know, a breakup is really difficult. It's emotionally challenging experience. It's hard, you know, it's hard to be able to reconcile what's going on ourselves as adults in that situation. You know, and I'm noting that reference to the extended family don't really know what's going on. This is a very complex, difficult thing. And, you know, it can therefore make it, you know, everything that led up to this, because I'm also noticing this boy's behaviour has been problematic for a few years. Mm. This isn't just the last year. You know, so it can be very hard when it comes to telling children when as a couple 
you are in the process of working out, well, what are we doing? What does this mean? Lots of parents that I meet would say, I don't want to talk to the children until we have it all worked out. The problem with that is your children are aware things have changed. You've literally moved. Mm. You know, your children are aware things have changed, but they can't make meaning of the change without some narrative. And sometimes, especially at nine, it's about saying, yeah, we're not going to live together. We're trying to work out a plan that's going to be good for all of us. As soon as I know more, I'll tell you more. But right now, this is the best decision that we can make. And you're acknowledging and framing it and saying, I don't have the full picture because I, I think that's very hard in these places. I also think, you know, you're saying that your nephew needs to go to therapy and things like and that's very subjective. And I think I'm hearing in the parenting here, your sister has a particular approach to parenting and she may well feel it's working for us. This is not a problem for us. I don't see it as a problem. You know what? It might be worth lo- looking at at this stage of a separation when parents are still so consumed with it as well is suggesting something a little more supportive, like, you know, something like a Rainbows group. Rainbows is a peer support group, rainbowsireland.ie. And they run sometimes in schools or community centres in lots of different places. And it's children supporting each other. It's a structured programme now. It's not just a a group where kids meet. There's a trained adult there as well. But it's a programme for children who are dealing with loss through be it death or divorce or separation, anything that's going on around those themes in their life. And that can be just that entry level piece that would help him to feel he's not the only one with this, he's not alone with it, and he can get some support and guidance around that while they're working out the other stuff. Right. And he may well need to see a therapist down the road. But I think come at this with kindness. I I think this this aunt or this uncle, whoever it is that's writing in, has to stop thinking of this child and just thinking of the letter as the angry, aggressive child he's being described as and start seeing him as the scared, confused, overwhelmed mm. child he is. And that will enable a compassionate connection. This isn't a kid who's aggressive. This is a kid who's overwhelmed and scared and confused and doesn't know what's going on and is using overt behaviour as a way of saying this is too much for me and how smart of him to have found a way to externalise that and he needs help and support and he I think let him know that you know he's having a hard time let him know that I see your anger I see your struggle it's not okay to yell or shout or whatever he's doing when he's with you Um, but I know it's because of how you're feeling do you know what we could do we could blow up a balloon I'll hold it away Mm. and you can punch the balloon or I'm going to hold out a sheet of newspaper away from my body pull it taut and when I say go you're going to punch through the newspaper and punch through the newspaper and get lots of bits of newspaper roll them into little paper balls make a loop like a basketball hoop with your two arms and have him play basketball so you're moving from that punch 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 into something that's engagement based as well into the basketball piece so use some playful creative solutions that let him know you see him you hear him and try to empathise with your sister, you know, even if it's dropping food to her door or just asking her, what do you need right now? Uh, Empathy seems to be the key thing there. And with the child, I think it's, it's, as you say, it's re-engaging with that lovely part of him and let him know you understand it. It sounds like, though, it's going to be a harder re-engagement with the sister. The sister has probably marked her card at this point thinking your suggestions aren't bloody much use. So. But you know, you can go back and apologise. Yeah, you know, I think we forget that we're allowed to get it wrong. I think society is teaching us don't get it wrong. There's yeah. no way back. There's always a way back. You can say, you know, I don't think I've been the most helpful 
sister or brother to you that I could have been. What could I do that would be more helpful than what I've yeah. been doing so far? That's a brave thing to do. Um, but, you know, it's an honest thing to do. It's about bringing the vulnerability out to the open. And when you can stand there and say, I got that wrong and I'd like to get it mm. better, that enables your sister to say, actually, do you know what yeah. would help is this or I'm really struggling with that or whatever it might be. OK, uh, Joanna Fortune with us. And if you have questions, 53106 is the text number. Email afternoonnewstalk.com. We'll have more for you after this. You're very welcome back to News Talk. 53106 is the text number that will cost you 30 cent. Afternoonnewstalk.com is the email address or tweet me at Tom Happens. Joanna Fortune still here with us and your parenting questions. Now I have to flag this is a sensitive issue uh, that we're about to discuss. So if you have um, young ears near you, you might want to um, move the radio somewhere else. And if you're going to be affected by this issue, I have the Aware Helpline number as well, which is one 800 the question is this. We have just realised that our uh, young adult son is self-harming, cutting himself. Can you advise us on what should be done next? He's not aware that we know and when we approach him, we need to do it in a way that he won't shut down on us. He's always been very sensitive, prone to outbursts where, he, outbursts where he will lash out, not towards us. I know he is feeling very stressed as to what to do next in his life. He delayed going to college and worked in the service industry, which he hates. We have told him to take time out and not put pressure on himself as most people don't know what to do themselves at this age in their lives. Um, he's a kind young man with lots of friends and a lovely girlfriend though he often finds social interactions very stressful. We've always felt that he would benefit from counselling but he always shuts this down when we try and talk to him about that. With anything that stresses him out he closes down and he won't talk. We really have no idea where to go from here. Any advice, please? Oh, this is really hard. And I I think, you know, in answering this, just to flag when you say young adult, um, I am presuming your young adult in this question is over 18. Yeah. So you can't compel him or make therapy appointments for him. He must also agree to do that just to be aware. And if anyone is listening and this resonates and you have a a younger teenager maybe who is also experiencing this, I just think, Tom, you know, there's not much else than this that would trigger the kind of panic and anxiety in a parent than discovering that your teenager, your young adult has been self-injuring in whatever way they've been doing it, you know. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, and I know myself from referrals and from the work I do, it is too common. OK, really? Uh, it's too common and it's it's quite high at the moment. And, you know, I just think while it is very common, we don't want to do that whole universal sure look at loads of kids are doing it. Not at all. We should take every single one of those situations very seriously and on an individual case by case basis, because the underpinning causes and motivations will vary widely for doing it. I often find as well that by the time you discover that your young person has been self-injuring in whatever way. By the time you discover it, it tends to have been going on for quite a long time. And before you've either discovered it or they've disclosed it to you, whatever way it has emerged. And, you know, often historically, maybe more than now, people dismiss this kind of stuff as attention seeking behaviour. But far from that, young people who do this tend to be very good at concealing this behaviour, it's not attention seeking, it's its actually the opposite. And when it's discovered, we do need to take it very, very seriously. And I just think, you know, as the parents involved, be give yourself that time and space. And I'm hearing in this letter that you've discovered it and you haven't rushed headlong into 
tackling it or addressing it, you've kind of taken a breath to go, what are we going to do? We mm. need to strategically plan this because I think you may feel a whole range of feelings um, in the face of learning about this. And, you know, you might even feel pulled towards the how could you do this? You have to stop it. Just stop it now. That kind of desperation that is a projection of our fear and anxiety of what's going on. Um, I mean, look, it's not like you have a script for these kinds of situations. And honestly, even if you did, it's not what would come to your mind when you discover something like this because you flip your lid. It is a more primitive part of your brain calling the shots. It's your emotional limbic area of the brain that's going to put you into panic mode yourself. That's where you're going to speak from. That's where you're going to respond from. And be very, very aware of this, that you will get it wrong. You will say the wrong thing. And then just like we said before the break, it is okay to come back and go, do you know, that really caught me off guard. Mm. I got really scared and I said things because I was scared. They're not the things I wish I'd said. And now that I've calmed down and I've thought about it, here's what I wish I'd said. And I'd really like to try it again with you. Okay. And just to come back and say, I had a feeling that's why I spoke. Now I have a different feeling and I'd like to reconnect okay. with you. So how do you get to the, for the parents' yeah. point of view, how do you get to the place where you're in a better position to give the kind of advice that, or, or say Well, the I'm right hearing thing. the we in this letter in particular. Yeah. So there's not one parent here, there's two of them. And I think that support, that support you need yourself is there. So even if you're parenting alone or if this is something you've discovered yourself, having your own support person that you, that you can have an open, honest, trust-based conversation with, look, I've discovered this, I don't know what to do. If that's not available to you or within your own network, you don't feel that you could have that conversation without causing widespread panic and multiple interference, contact an organisation, phone AWARE, phone the Samaritans, phone Pieta House, have a conversation with your GP even, phone your GP and have a conversation about this. I think the first thing with this situation at hand here is this is a young adult and you've discovered something and he doesn't know that you know. Okay. So already now there's a double secret. He thinks you don't know. You do know and he doesn't know that. So now you're both keeping secrets from each other. You have to tell him. um, And I think you come at this in a way of saying, look, we want to talk to you about something. And when is a good time for you, especially if he's working in hospitality? You know, when is a good time for you around your shifts? Okay, great. We're going to have a conversation. Then it marks his card. It gives him a heads up that you want to do that very gently and kindly. Um, And then you're going to ensure that you start as calm and empathic as you possibly can, you know, always framing it with we love you so much. We are worried about you. We want you to know that we are always here for you and we know that you're hurting yourself and that you're we are really sad that it's come to that. What can we do to help? Would you have gotten in touch with an organisation before that conversation? I'm kind of thinking of um, people who may have relatives who are an alcoholic or a drug addict. Mm -hmm. Naranon, which is the the, the organisation that deals with the relatives of those people, they're enormously helpful organisations. When when somebody realises they're not the only person who has this problem, well, the sense that gives Mm. you is great. But then on top of that, the advice of other people who can be further down the road may have experienced this. It can really ground you. It can anchor you and prepare, give you a language to frame these types of conversations, which like we've said, don't come with the script. And the risk of getting it wrong is huge because it's emotional and emotional conversations go emotionally. Get that advice first. Phone those lines that we've mentioned, you know, or your GP or community mental health services. Like phone and have the conversation. Um, Avoid 
avoid questions or demands of him, like avoid saying, and how long has it been going on and what are you doing? And you have to stop. Do you promise me you'll stop? Avoid those kinds of questions and demands and use I or we when you're talking about it so that you're owning your own feelings. He hasn't done this to you. You're worried because you love him. It's all coming from you. And talk about love and support all the way through it. Um, That's exactly I would have not only had those conversations, I would have a little list of numbers and saying, you know, we're going to talk to your GP. You'll have to go and make the appointment because of his age. Yeah, you can't do well. You can ask the questions about how to have the conversation and support you. You can't book that appointment for him. He has to agree to it. You know, that's the complication here. Creating a sense around him of support is crucial to him being able to do that. I'm really encouraged that he has lots of friends. He has a lovely girlfriend that he has a support network. And I'm not saying you go talk to those people behind his back. Don't do that. Don't do that. But to encourage him to talk to them and say to him, you know, one of the things you've become aware of is that he could phone Pieta House and you will support him in doing that and be with him and that he could book they may be able to give him a crisis counselling appointment while you put some other supports in place because you want him to know this is serious and you're taking it seriously because you take him seriously. It does sound like he has some degree of social anxiety perhaps going on in terms of he doesn't enjoy social engagements and interactions. They're stressful for him and he's having a crisis of where am I going? What am I doing? So I don't disagree that a form of therapy or psychological intervention would be helpful in general. But I think right now I'd be focused on the fact that he is self-injuring and I would want that addressed. OK. Um, by the way, that number again, the AWARE helpline is one 800 46 should you be affected by any, any of the issues that we discussed there. Um, one more for you before we let you go. My son is two and my husband and I want to bring him on holiday for the first time. The problem is that we have him pretty well established his routine and I don't want to upset it. Leaving him at home with a grandparent isn't really an option. And anyway, I'd like to bring him with us. I find that unbelievable. Were you really thinking of not bringing the two-year-old with you? I'm stunned. Um, he, he can also... I mean, routine is one thing. He can also be a light sleeper at times, mm-hmm. so I'm a bit worried about the plane too. What are your ideas around how to plan my family's staycation to minimise... That's a staycation as well. To minimise disruption to his routine. Yeah, so the staycation, I, I'm not sure how the plane comes into it. Um you know, uh, but and again, I always think staycation is such an interesting word, Tom, because for me, a staycation is you're staying at home yeah. and you have nice day trips. You leave your house and you come back to your house. If I leave my house with a bag packed and I'm away for more than one day a night, I'm on holidays. Even if it's across the road. Doesn't matter. I'm on holidays. <laughs> no matter where it is, it's about location rather okay, than what I'm doing. Right. And I think an at home holiday and, you know, holiday in your own country is one thing. Maybe you're getting a plane from one end of the country to the other. Maybe it's a little bit further. But just look, getting back to that. Routine is one thing, but routine is not supposed to be rigid. It's supposed to be structured. It can be flexible, adaptable. You can take most of that routine on the road with you. Um, Holidays. Let's let's all hold in mind they're supposed to be something we enjoy. First of all, not endure that we enjoy them. Although there may be bits of them that aren't enjoyable. And that's okay. And for those moments, you tag each other. Yeah. And I've been that soldier too, like for sure. And holidays, though, are supposed to give us a break from the norm of our day to day life. And I think this is really relevant with the routine part of it. You know, they're an opportunity to discover how we've all grown, changed in the months that have passed. It's, you know, this change of physical environment, a chance to change our field of vision, reset those busy task oriented brains we all have, emotionally exhale, you know, recharge, all of that. But it's also allowing us to re examine our routines and see what is working 
what isn't working? Do we change the routine? Oh, would you look at that? This has worked really well while we're away. Can we take that home with us? I would actually just work on if it's a plane or a journey, how long is the trip and bring a few sensory items with you. Flying or even travelling in general is a very sensory dysregulating experience, especially for children. Bring a little tub of putty or clay or Play-Doh. Um, bring a um, little party bag of you know, something like bubbles that you can play easily together, a couple of little cars, a couple of little blocks, little things that you can stick easily into your travel size, whatever, and have that to engage and play with. Make sure you've got snacks. Make sure if it's a car that you take breaks and just be aware of keeping an eye on when holiday activities stopped being fun and became grumpy opportunity. But I would take him absolutely. absolutely. And the routine will adapt with you. Yeah. And don't worry, it's there. So when you get back home, you might have a regression or a wobble briefly, but you will get it back on track. You will. And holidays where you, where you make memories. So, absolutely. You know, go for it. And it sounds as if they become quite fond of them over the two years. So they should Which is reassuring. It but is, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, traveling with a two year old is not uh, easy. So, you know, tag each other in as well. Make sure yeah. when you're on holidays that there is. It doesn't matter if it's about finding the local cafe that serves the coffee the way you like like it and you get 15, 20 minutes to yourself every day. But having those little opportunities while the other parent is digging holes in the beach that you can go and do that is important. Let's not frighten them off. Let (laughs) let them do it, okay? Enjoy it. Yes, Yes. Joanna, thank you very much. Uh, Joanna, back with us next week and again for your your queries to afternoon at newstalk.com and Joanna will deal with them. I'm delighted to do so next week. Um, The Calm Harm app is a free app, very useful for people struggling with self-harm. Definitely worth checking out for those parents of that young adult. Also texting 50808 uh, wasn't mentioned here but it's a free health service text service uh, which is available 24-7 that's 50808 for that uh, Jigsaw as well Youth Mental Health Services for Young Adults incredible uh, service in the community supporting and signposting for family members also um, listen to your discussion about self-harming I did this as a teenager I was socially shy but I also had an ill father which was never really discussed properly from 11 onwards I think this was causing a deep issue that I didn't understand I wonder if there is something in that guy's life uh, that is under the radar with a problem he can't manage I saw, stopped self-harming and I've never done it again after my teenage years that's from Robert so loads of advice and support coming in there. Joanna, thank you very much. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.